So our Bible reading this evening is taken from uh, Luke chapter 18, page 1056. Luke, Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, page 1056. And I'm going to read the first 17 verses. And uh, we have here uh, two parables of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now they were bringing even infants to him, that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, may God bless that reading of his word. So this evening... Uh, we're going to concentrate on the second of those two parables, uh, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And I've given our uh, time around God's word tonight the title, Who Does God Hear? Who Does God Hear? But um, another commentator, William Hendrickson, gives a very snappy title, Two Men, Two Prayers, and Two Results which is uh, very succinct and probably sums up the sermon. 
It's a very important subject, isn't it? How do we approach God in prayer? And to teach us the right way, the Lord Jesus Christ sets up a contrast by way of this parable. Two ways of approaching God. And so we should ask ourselves this night, who do we most resemble? Who are we like in the way that we come to the Lord? But of course, there is a prior question we should ask ourselves tonight. Do we pray at all? Do we pray each day? If not, we should ask ourselves, why don't I pray? So we have lessons here today, this evening, for Christians, those who have found the Lord and trusted in him. We have lessons for those who are seeking the Lord, seeking to find him, seeking to find his pardon. And we also have lessons for those, perhaps, who have at the moment no intention of believing or seeking the Lord. So lessons for us all tonight. Now, in the verse 9, we see the audience that the Lord Jesus Christ was particularly focus, focusing on. So verse 9, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the Lord was speaking particularly to those we might call today the self-righteous. But before perhaps uh, we switch off and think, well, this is going to be uh, maybe a lesson from the Lord about self-righteous people, we ought to acknowledge that all of us have within our hearts self-righteousness, that we think that we are right with God, we think that we are good enough, by nature we think these things. Well, we're not. The Lord tells us that all of us in our hearts are by nature self-righteous. We trust in ourselves. And so we have lessons here, whether we are Christians, we are still prone to this, but if we haven't yet found the Lord or if we don't believe in him, well, there's a lesson really here for us. Are we trusting in ourselves? There's a lot of uh, trusting in self today, isn't there? There's a lot of trusting in anyone but the Lord of the Bible. Um, some once said we are self-made men, mankind. We are self-made men and we worship our creator. We think we're all okay by ourselves. And it has been interesting, hasn't it, in these past couple of weeks, all this emphasis and interest in the celebrating the Apollo moon landing, which is fascinating. I'm a very keen follower of space and all those things. It's wonderful. But isn't it interesting that in all the celebrations and marking of that uh, great event of the, the first man to set foot on the moon, uh, there's been very little reference to the God who created the whole universe and the moon for man to land on. Um, it is interesting, too, that if you go back more than 50 years to Apollo 8, Apollo 8 was the first uh, Apollo mission to uh, circumnavigate orbit around the moon and come back and land safely. And uh, I was watching a television program a couple of weeks ago, and I was reminded that event took place really around Christmas, on Christmas Day, many years ago, more than 50 years ago. And as they orbited around the moon and came back into radio contact, the astronauts read from the first chapter of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were so overawed by what they had seen in those first wonderful photographs of the earth taken from space 
Those astronauts, I'm not sure whether they were believers or not, but they were overawed by what they saw. And there was a sense in which they knew they had to trust in something, someone greater than themselves. But uh, we come back to earth and we look in our own hearts tonight. And so I want to look at this parable just in three headings. The proud heart, the humble heart, and the pure heart. Now we don't know whether this parable... Uh, was told by the Lord Jesus Christ because he'd actually seen a couple of men going up into the temple. Perhaps he had. Perhaps he had followed them into the temple. Well, he knows all things, so he didn't have to follow them. But we can follow them tonight, going up into that temple. And uh, so if we take our place behind the Pharisee, who goes up first, and then the tax collector, and let's follow those two men into the temple and listen in to what's happening. So, verses 10 to 12, we hear the Pharisee, and the Pharisee is portrayed as the man with the proud heart. And let's read those verses again from verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Now, we sometimes say truth is stranger than fiction. Can you imagine somebody going up into the presence of God and boasting about how good he is compared to other people and all the good things that he has done. But isn't that true of us so often? We think very well of ourselves. We don't look at us ourselves in the way that God looks at us. So he was a man who was very content with what we might call comparative righteousness. Uh, he was comparing himself to other people. And we do this ourselves so often. Uh, if we think of ourselves, we think, well, I'm not as bad as other people I know. Um, maybe at school I can remember not getting very good marks and examinations, and tests at the end of term, and thinking, well, I didn't do as badly as the other people, even though I've done pretty badly as well. So self-righteousness and comparative righteousness, I compare myself and I feel very good about it. And that's just what this uh, Pharisee is doing. Uh, now, the Pharisees were very keen on uh, praying in public. It wasn't unusual for a Pharisee to go into the temple and stand and pray. We're told by the Lord Jesus Christ in another, another part of the New Testament that the Pharisees loved to stand on street corners and pray. So they were used to praying. But this Pharisee straight away was in there telling the Lord how good he, how he was. So not only does he compare himself to the worst things he can think about, the worst, perhaps, in his mind, breakers of God's law, adulterers, extortioners, unjust. Uh, he even pointed, perhaps in his mind, he saw the tax collector out of the corner of his eye and said, I'm particularly not like that tax collector. And in a moment, we'll understand why he felt so good about himself compared to that. He also wanted to parade his good works. And we read that he says, I fast twice a week. I go without food twice a week. I tithe absolutely everything, not just the money God gives me, but we read in other parts of the New Testament, even herbs, perhaps from the garden. 
the Pharisee would take a tenth of those, that's the meaning of a tithe, and he would present those to God. He went beyond what the ceremonial law of God required. And so he felt good about himself. And again, so often it can be the case that the good things that we do, or think we do, can actually give us a false sense of security before God. Because we think, surely, the good things that I do, the times I'm kind, times I'm generous, surely God sees those things. And in some way, he gives me credit for them. Well, God's word says, no, that is not the case. No good deeds can make us right in the sight of God. And, uh, you know, we're told the Apostle Paul says, well, if I gave up my body to be burned, if I sacrifice myself, but I don't have love for God, I am nothing. No good deeds, the Lord says, whatever kind, can make us right with him. The Bible says that all our good deeds, all our righteous deeds, are as filthy rags before the Lord. Uh, Because the Bible tells us that we are born in sin. We don't just do sins, we are sinners by nature. By the very fact that we are descended from Adam, who fell down those centuries of time, that curse has passed to each one of us born into this world. So we have the Pharisee there, standing by the tax collector, telling the Lord how good he is. But you know, the human heart can be very subtly proud. And uh, one thing to notice about the Pharisee here is he doesn't just go to the Lord and say, God, I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner or adulterer. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like these other people. In a way, his religious nature has got the better of him because he thinks, actually, that God has helped him to be better than other people. So he thanks God for it. And that's a lesson for us all because sometimes we may pray to the Lord and we thank God for things, but actually, in so doing, we are being self-righteous. We are ascribing things to God when actually God sees them and he says, no, that is not what pleases me. That's not what is good in my sight. So if we are not a Christian here this evening or if we're seeking the Lord, we must remember that when we come before God in prayer, when we approach him, we must leave behind any notion that we are good enough for God, that we are better than other people, or that anything that we can do in God's sight will make God give us favor, that God will look kindly upon us. No, we have nothing of that sort. And that's why so many hymns that we sing talk of the fact that we can bring nothing to God but our sin. That's all we can bring to him. But I think also, if we're Christians here tonight, we need to think ourselves about the way we pray. And whether on some occasions when we come to pray, in our private prayers, or perhaps in in public in a prayer meeting, whether we are not ourselves a little bit afflicted on some occasions or could be by an element of self-righteousness. So here's a prayer which I haven't heard prayed here at Grove Chapel. I'm just going to uh, give it as a sort of an exaggeration. So how about this for a Christian? Lord, I thank you that my doctrine and church practice is correct and that I don't fall into the errors of other Christians. 
Now, I think we have to be very careful in the way we approach the Lord. We are not perfect. And though we hold to the truths of uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism dearly, we have to make sure that we're not placing our confidence in God on the basis that we adhere to a particular confession of faith, much though we love it and that we value it. The other thing to notice, I think, about the, uh, the tax collector, sorry, the Pharisee's prayer, is that there's nothing of repentance in his prayer. There's no feeling of unworthiness in his prayer. And uh, in verse 11, in our version, the English Standard Version, says the Pharisee standing by himself prayed. In other versions, it has a slightly different uh, uh, reading. It says here, the Pharisee prayed with himself. He didn't pray to God. God did not hear him. And for all of us, whether we're Christians or whether we're not yet Christians, repentance and that feeling of unworthiness, being truly sorry before the Lord for our sins, are just so important. And we must never come before the Lord except in an emergency prayers without really reflecting on the fact that we are not worthy to come into God's presence at all. That left to ourselves, we are proud people and we so often can be found trusting in ourselves. Well, if we are trusting in ourselves tonight in any way, let's pray to God that he will help us to change. So that's the the Pharisee, that's the proud heart. Now we're going to come on to now the heading of the humble heart. We're going to look at verse 13. Uh, Here's the tax collector. And to understand the implication of the tax collector coming into the temple, we need to realize that tax collectors in those days were viewed not just as outcasts, but they were viewed as collaborators with the Roman authorities. They were there acting on behalf of a foreign power. And uh, the people uh, who would come to the temple would know that. And they would say, well, why is this person coming to the temple? What right has he got to come there? And we know that uh, tax collectors in those days were extortioners. And if you remember the parable where uh, the Lord Jesus Christ encountered Zacchaeus, uh, and said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house this day. And Zacchaeus was so convicted that he said, Lord, I will restore four times the amount I have taken. And that gives you a kind of indication of what tax collectors in those days in in that part of the world did. On behalf of the Roman authorities, they would take for themselves and they would pass on some to the Roman authorities. So tax collectors were completely despised. They were the lowest of the low as far as the religious people and others in that day. So he comes into the temple And uh, look in verse 13, the Lord Jesus Christ says, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So he stood afar off. Now, if you think of the geography of the the temple, uh, there was the Holy of Holies, the place where the high priests were going to only once a year, and there are other parts of that temple, Uh, probably, by implication, the Pharisee had gone as near as he could to the Holy of Holies without actually going in, but the tax collector stood afar off, maybe in a corner in the temple, as far as we know, far away from the Holy of Holies and the mercy seat 
that uh, covering of the Ark of the Covenant where two angels or cherubim with their wings signifying the mercy and the grace of God, the tax collector stood as far away probably as he could because he knew that he was unworthy to come. He doesn't recite any good deeds. He doesn't declare that he's superior to anybody else. He feels so unworthy. He feels that deeply, striking his chest repeatedly as the the sign of, of Eastern repentance and distress. And he doesn't even want to look up. He doesn't want to look up towards heaven. He doesn't want to look up towards the mercy seat or anything. And his prayer is uttered in seven words. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And uh, in some other translations, you could read this. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And you remember the Apostle Paul looked upon himself as the chief of sinners. So convicted did this tax collector feel that he called himself the sinner. I am, he said, in my estimation, the worst sinner in the world. Now, I suppose the question really for us this evening is, have we ever prayed like this? Have you ever prayed like that? God, have mercy upon me. Be merciful to me. He didn't just say, forgive my sins, O Lord, which would have been a right thing to say, but he goes to the heart of the matter. He says, have mercy upon me because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature. I was born in sin. That is my very existence. And my very existence, O Lord, is an abomination to you. I know that. I'm a rebel against you. I've broken all of those Ten Commandments in one way or another. He felt it deeply. And so again, if we are Christians here this evening, how often do we repent? Yes, we must repent when we first come to the Lord. But it should be a daily practice for believers to repent. Now, in this sense, not that we repent because our sins, we believe, have in some ways disallowed us the status of a Christian. No, if we've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are his and his forever. But when we sin, we put up a barrier between us and the Lord. And that is why we repent, not as outsiders, if we are Christians, but we repent as children of God. And the illustration is obvious, isn't it? If a child does something very wrong to a parent, or does something he or she knows a parent will be very upset by, that child still remains a child of the parent. But there is a barrier between the child and the parent until the child comes to the parent and says, Mum or Dad, I'm very sorry for what I did. And then the family bond is restored. And that is the same for a Christian. We should be repenting of our sin at least daily because that is the way we keep in communion with the Saviour. But if we are not yet a Christian, well, this is a prayer for you. Maybe not in these words, but in words that convey the fact that we know that we are far from God, far from being worthy of his presence, and far from being one with him. So we come on to the uh, pure heart and the third heading. So we've had uh, the proud heart, we've had the humble heart, and now we're going to think about 
the pure heart. So, in verse 14, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ gives a commentary on what he has just said. Referring to the tax collector, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. By that we know that God had heard and answered the prayer of this tax collector, this humble tax collector. And the Lord Jesus said, he went down to his home, he went back to his home that evening justified. Now, when we use the word justified in normal speech these days, we use it most often um, in this sense. He or she was shown to have been right. The argument they put up or the course of action they took, they were right. They were justified in doing what they did. But in the Bible, the word justified doesn't mean that. It means something quite different. It means, the word justified, to be declared right with God. To be declared righteous, to be declared right with God. And the Lord Jesus Christ said about the tax collector, he went down to his house that evening right with God, right in God's sight. Now we have to ask ourselves a question here. Why was the tax collector declared right with God? Was he declared right with God because he was humble in his approach to God? Was it his humility that had made all the difference? And whereas the Pharisee hadn't been humble at all, he'd been proud, the tax collector had been very humble. Was it his humility that meant he went down right with God that night? Well, the answer to that is no. Because if the lesson we draw from this is that if you're humble, God will hear you, we've drawn a wrong lesson because we can never be humble enough. And even in our humility, there's always that element of pride left in our hearts. No, the tax collector was not declared right with God just because he was humble, but it was for this reason, that his humility had enabled him to come to take hold of the mercy of God. His prayer was, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Be merciful. And so we have this wonderful picture now of the mercy of God. You see, we've talked about the proud heart. We talked about the humble heart. Neither of those two hearts makes us right with God. What we need is a pure heart. And uh, we'll sing about that at the close of our service. But we need to ask ourselves, what, how do we get a pure heart if by nature we are sinful? Well, that tax collector was in the temple. And in the temple he knew there was a daily sacrifice of lambs to God. There was a daily uh, sprinkling of blood to purify in the temple. He knew, even if he didn't look up to it, in the temple there was the mercy seat, which we've just referred to. That place, uh, the, the cover of the Ark of the Covenant, with the two cherubim angels over it, signifying the mercy of God to sinners. He realized that by himself, even his humble heart, 
was not going to be enough to be right with God. He realized to have a pure heart, he needed to be declared pure before the Lord. And purity was not to be found in him, it was to be found in someone else. And so this evening we must understand that not our works, not our humility, or anything that we have, not even a humble prayer is what saves us and makes us right with God. We have to have a pure heart. Well, that's impossible. And in Psalm 24, the psalmist David said this, Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who can come into God's presence? Only he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Well, the answer to this uh, seeking after a pure heart is found only and supremely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when he came down from heaven, the perfect God becoming the perfect man, God-man there in that one flesh, he lived a perfect life. He became the perfect sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. He was the one who took upon himself on that cross of Calvary the sins, the punishments for all who would ever turn to him and cry out to him for mercy. He fulfilled all God's requirements that we could never do. God's requirements for purity and perfection so that trusting in the mercy of Christ we may be declared justified, right with God, holy in God's sight. You see, the Bible teaches that the great transaction on the cross of Calvary and for all who trust in him is that God placed the punishment that we deserved on Christ and in return for all who believe in him God places, as it were, the righteousness, the purity, the holiness of Christ on the believing, repenting sinner. Now, it doesn't mean that we are pure and holy ourselves, but God looks upon him, looks upon Christ, and if we are in Christ, God looks upon him and is satisfied. He is satisfied with the pure and holy righteousness of Christ. And that's a glorious thing. And that's available to all who put their trust in him. And so whatever condition we find ourselves in here tonight, whatever we may have done in our past lives, whatever our thoughts have been, whatever sins we have committed, yes, as the hymn says, the vilest of sinners who truly believes, that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. So whatever we have done, whatever we have been, here is mercy at the cross of Christ, covered by his blood and declared righteous, not because of our deeds, not because of our prayers, not because of our humility, but Christ has stood in our place. And that is the wonderful news, the wonderful good news of the gospel for everybody here this evening. Now, just to uh, conclude, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, said in a very authoritative way, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. And you might say this evening, well, how can I be sure if I'm not a Christian at the moment? How can I be sure that if, like this tax collector, I come in prayer before the Lord, praying for forgiveness, praying for his mercy, 
praying that God would look kindly upon me, how can I be sure that the Lord will hear me? Well, we have an encouragement here for just such. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I tell you, the authority of the Son of God himself says to us this evening that for all who believe on him, all who trust in his mercy, you will most certainly find him. He will most certainly save you. So the question for us tonight is, um, as we go, as it were, down to our houses or apartments or flat or hostel or couch surfing or whatever, as we go back to the place uh, where we will rest tonight, will we go down to that place right with God, like that tax collector? Will we know that forgiveness that only comes through trusting in Christ? At the moment, you might say, well, I'm not going to be able to go home saying that. Well, the question to you is, why not? Why not? The Lord, down the centuries, has heard millions of prayers like this of the tax collector who trusted in the mercy of God expressed supremely through the Lord Jesus Christ. So why should it be any different for you? Why should it not be the case that you, tonight, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, could not go down to your house, your home, your flat, pardoned and forgiven because you are trusted in the blood of Christ shed for you on Calvary? And as believers, if we know that we have been distant from the Lord, perhaps over these past days or weeks, what is to stop us this night praying that same prayer, earnestly felt, Lord, I know I am your child. I know I have sinned against you. I know I have strayed. But you have promised that the blood of Jesus Christ, if I confess my sin, will go on cleansing me from all my sin. That's a promise for you this evening as a believer. So why not put your trust in Christ for salvation and for forgiveness even this night? And there's a last encouragement here too from the Lord himself. If we look in verse 14, he says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, went down to his, his house justified rather than the other. The Pharisee's prayer was not heard. And then this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So humble yourselves this evening. We should all humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. And in humbling ourselves, because we can never humble ourselves sufficiently, we look to the mercy of God expressed through the Lord Jesus Christ. His death on the cross of Calvary, his ascension and resurrection into heaven, where now he ever lives, to pray for his people. What an encouragement that is. So, can I encourage you tonight to be encouraged to seek the Lord's mercy, and uh, particularly if you are outside his kingdom tonight, go to him with that prayer, a prayer of your own. It's not a magic formula. Don't just think that saying those words will in some ways make you right with God. Pray to God that he will give you that sense of your sin. I am a sinner, O Lord, and come to him with true sorrow and repentance this night, and you will be saved. May God bless this message to us this evening.